For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. No BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez, right here in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. The Voice of Choice, Bruce Work, back again one more time with the Raging Bull, the legend, Manny Fernandez. What's happening, Manny? Oh, not much. Typical Monday, you know, getting ready for another big dental appointment tomorrow. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts me just to hear you say that. <laughs> it's pretty good for me right now. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of the dentist. And that's not any one dentist. I, I just, you know, I have a big trust problem with some uh, specialists, Manny, because some sometimes specialists do work that they don't have to. I once went to an eye doctor that prescribed me glasses and I have 20-20 vision. And I went, I got a second opinion because I was getting the worst headaches of my life. And uh, the second opinion said, you don't need glasses. You you have 20-20 vision. And there you go. They just wanted to sell me a $700 pair of glasses. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. There's, there's crooks in all walks of life in every profession. <laughs> Not just wrestling, but in every profession. You're going to find some shady people always want to get over on the person. Always. Amen. So today... We um we've been promising for a few weeks that we would get into some. Uh, you you all are wonderful at sending us your feedback, your mail, and uh, responding on Twitter, and uh, sending us messages on Twitter. So I'm going to read some of what we have. We have um a couple of hundred messages that have come through over the twelve or thirteen weeks that we've done this together, and you know, a lot of stuff about the military. So. I think we've covered that a lot in other episodes. So I encourage everybody to go back uh, on the Memorial Day episode. We covered Manny's military service in depth, including, you know, some papers that he sent over to me personally. So anybody that doubts him there can go back and listen to that. And uh, if you don't believe him and you don't believe me, then we don't care about you. But <laughs> for everybody else. I think uh, there's a lot to talk about today. But before we get into the mail, Manny, I just wanted, uh, you and I had talked offline. There's a few things that we wanted to touch on. And one, you know, you've been pretty outspoken that you don't watch today's pro wrestling, but you found yourself stumbling through the channels and you caught an episode of AEW, right? Right, right. I was bored with what was on TV, the basketball, baseball. You know, I like the Yankees, but I can't sit through a nine-inning game, you know, balls and strikes and all that. But, you know, there wasn't much on TV, no good movies, nothing. You know, it was all garbage. So I'm flipping through the channel, channel surfing, and I've seen this 
two guys in the ring, Jungle Boy and Kenny Omega, and they're out there cutting a promo, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Jungle Boy gets offended from something, and he lays 20 damn elbows upside of Kenny Omega's head. Elbow. I'm talking about elbow strike. And yeah. all Kenny Omega does is lean against the rope, then he rakes the guy's eyes. And I'm going, oh, my God, how phony can these guys be? You know, and I was just watching the day before that, I was just watching the highlights of the UFC fight. And you see the UFC fighters, and they get up against that cage. They start throwing elbow strikes. And you see a guy get cut, dazed and confused, or knocked out. And this clown's throwing 20 damn elbows, and the guy ain't even going down. And then he rakes the guy's eyes. How phony can these guys get? I mean, Jesus, no wonder. No wonder people don't watch that crap anymore. You know, you have UFC legitimate. And they throw elbow strikes and knock the guy out. And you got some idiot throwing 20 elbows inside a guy's head. And the guy just doesn't even register. <laughs> and, and worst of all, he breaks his eyes. Ah, no. That's one thing I always hated. Somebody raking eyes. I could yeah. never stand that. Wasn't that a Hulk Hogan? Hulk, as a face, Hulk Hogan used to rake the eyes or rake the back. That was, that was like a trademark Hogan move, right? Really? I don't know. I never watched Clown. <laughs> you know, it's probably no doubt because he didn't have much of a repertoire <laughs> look at it i use the big word a repertoire but i mean it was just it was ridiculous <laughs> like you said my head it stuck in my head i said how could somebody try to convince people to buy a ticket to see this crap when they can watch highlights of usc and see those guys really lay it in and guys get busted open blood everywhere and these clowns just Stand there, lean on a rope, and <laughs> raking eyes. Oh, Funny, my God. 35 years ago, you know, 20 elbows to the side of the head might have had somebody out getting stretchered out to the hospital. I mean, that was the day of headbutts as a finishing move. So uh, yeah. it, it's crazy. And and you could do – I know fans like fast-paced action. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the current product. I'm very outspoken about that, and that's why I like doing these shows. But – you could have fast pace action with lots of high flying moves, but not be over the top silly, like, uh, and no selling things like that, especially when UFC is on another channel and um, you see how devastating an elbow strike to the head really is. Yes. That's, that's, that's the comparison. That's what made me think. No wonder only 800,000 people watch this crap. It must be desperate to find some kind of viewing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The the other thing, Manny, that you and I chatted about, you know, last week's show, we talked a lot about your time in Florida. And again, you can go back and listen to that. If it's your first time listening to this show, uh, all of Manny's shows, No BS with the Bull, are on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed, called, totally free on your favorite podcast app. Wherever you like to listen to podcasts, give us a like or a subscribe. It's free. And uh, and check us out or go to vocnation.com. You can find everything there. Uh, but last week we talked about Florida, and you said to me after the show, in between the uh, the week before we came back together, you said – uh, you missed talking about your time with Andre the Giant, which is uh, significant. Yeah, yeah, very significant because I met Andre when I was a junior in college in West Texas State, and we became real close friends because I was his driver. I'd pick him up at the airport, take him to Lubbock, take him to Hertford, take him to Odessa, take him to all the shows that he had to go be at, you know? 
and we yeah. had a lot of fun together. I really got close to knowing him, enjoyed drinking with him and just playing cards with him, uh, playing cribbage with him and stuff. He was so good at cribbage, you know, and I always lost to him. I always lost five, ten dollars all the time. But he, <laughs> he was a great man, part of my life. And one of the biggest remembrance of uh, of my Florida career was having Andre rush in to save me when Morocco and Lad and Humperdinck's gang jumped me and blooded me up and, and uh, Andre came to the rescue, you know, and having a couple of tag team matches with him. It was, it was a big, big boost to my career to have Andre in my corner, you know, and uh, it was, he was so much fun. He was so great in the ring. <laughs> For as big a man as he is, he was so much fun in the ring. He was great. And, it, you know, it was hard to keep a straight face because he was always laughing or joking about something, you know, in the ring and on the apron. So, yeah, I really, I, I'm sorry that I forgot about that because he was a big part of my uh, career coming up, especially when I was green. He had so see, much great advice. Did you ever see somebody get on the wrong side of Andre in the ring? No. That's, you know, the only side I've ever seen of Andre was the good side, the funny side, especially when he was playing cribbage with everybody, with Murdoch and Morgan and all the guys that played cribbage in the dressing room. I've never seen anybody get on the bad side of him. I know he wasn't much high on Hulk Hogan, but I wasn't around for that. I just heard, you know, secondhand, uh, secondhand talk or whatever you want to call it, scuttlebutt. Uh, but no, I never seen that. Everybody had so much high regard for him and respect because he carried himself like a real person, like a real man. You know, he was sure. respectful to everybody. You ever, did you ever participate in one of those legendary drinking sessions after the matches with Andre? I heard he could put put away alcohol like nobody else. Yeah, I did, yeah my apartment in uh, Amarillo, Texas, when him and Blackjack got into that physical confrontation. <laughs> I wouldn't say I participated. I'd say I was laying on the floor. <laughs> so so, so tell, you got to tell us more about that. So in your apartment – Blackjack Mulligan and Andre the Giant had a physical conversation. I can't imagine furniture surviving that confrontation. No, no. By the time that physical confrontation was over, we had to pay twenty five hundred dollars worth of damage. This oh. is back in seventy seven. This is back in seventy seven. So twenty five hundred dollars worth of damage would be a lot of money today. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah they guys playing cribbage, drinking, getting drunk. I was so drunk by then, I was just laying on the damn floor, and all I remember is, we fight now, boss, and boom, 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 and oh my God, it was a, it was a mess, and they were laughing the whole damn time, they were so damn drunk. <laughs> was Andre, what, was it true, I mean, a lot of us, you know, I, I'm, I'm 40, so I saw the end of Andre the Giant, you know, I've seen tapes, but, you know, we saw the slow you know, immobile Andre that um, it's almost sad what he became at the end, still very intimidating, but Andre at his height, when he, when he went height, no pun intended, but Andre at his peak again, no pun intended when, uh, when he could move around, could he have taken anybody that he wanted to uh, at any time? In a second. Yeah. In a second, it would take no time at all. In a second. Andre was so agile, you know, he used to go stop rope and stuff, you know. Andre, when he when I met Andre and I was like I said, Bill College, West Texas State, Andre was mobile. He was mobile for a big man. I used to say, 
how's this big guy going to get around in that ring? Well, I'll tell you what, when Mulligan and him went out, he went over the top rope, running on the floor, come up. You know, he was moving. And I used to be amazed that he could move. But I know later on in life, he got that Zionitis disease, and it really slowed him down, you know, slowed him down a lot. But when I was young and Andre was in the business, he could go. You could say, well, I, I truly could say he could go. There was no no quitting Andre. Yeah, yeah. One of the greatest of all time, Andre the Giant. And, you know, there was a lot of good by our documentaries about Andre the Giant out there. So, you know, any any modern fans that don't have any concept of Andre the Giant and how giants worked back in the day, go out and look at that because it's a lot different than, I mean, you look at somebody like the Big Show, Manny, who was big, right? Not quite as big yep. as Andre, but they they worked him much differently. Like he wasn't a dominating force like Andre was. They had him in a lot of silly stuff and um, I think they could have, if the big show was around back in the seventies, he, he was, he, it's a much different story, right? Right. That would have been way different. Yeah. See, what I like about Andre is, like I said, he could take the arm drag, hip top, you know, go over the top rope, go through the yeah. rope. I didn't see all that stuff. That I didn't see big show do much of. He was, big show's a good guy. He was very talented, but the role they had him in was, you know, they kind of shortened his, uh, fan of uh, pro wrestling really you know comedy yeah, a lot kinda, of comedy yeah it kind of got still after a while i think yeah. they burned him out of, uh, yeah but at his height uh, at the end of wcw i mean he was he was a monster but you know yeah. uh, he went he went to that that machine in wwe probably made a lot a lot of money a lot more money than than uh than some others but but uh in terms of the wrestling side of it i i felt i've always felt like he could have been so much more he could have just been a dominant monster they could have taken him off tv for months at a time brought him back almost like what they do with lesnar you know yep yep you know uh yeah big show would have done that but uh you know vince has a funny way of doing things that's the only thing say about vince. Vince all about vince but Getting to that point, you know, you had asked me about uh, a week ago about these guys that all got released, you know, that Brahman or whatever his name is. Braun Strowman, uh, yeah. Strowman, all these guys that are down. After I watched, getting back to what I said about AEW, after I watched that AEW clip that I watched, 30 seconds or whatever of it, I thought to myself, deeply thought to myself, hmm, Vince is being smart. It's, he's not releasing talent. He's making cap space like the NFL. <laughs> yeah. He's saving money. He's saving money. He's just getting rid of the high dollar guys. That way you save money other than the cap. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, I mean, listen, every business has a budget and yep. they're in a rebuilding phase and they want to get back out on the road and, and start producing shows again. And I think they want to, really look at who they're going out on the road with and i mean maybe braun Strowman. sometimes you get too big for your britches you know i mean braun had a big ego apparently i don't know that firsthand but i've, I've heard that secondhand and maybe braun they, vince wanted to give him a reality check who knows yeah you never know because like i said it could be recent for cap space money space they're going out on the road to 
promote more shows, live shows and stuff. That costs money. That all costs money. All the production equipment, all the trucks driving, everything that rents has got to cut a ton of money to set up. You know, so. Absolutely. All right, Manny, we've got a ton of uh, listener feedback, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side and listen to your questions or listen to Manny answer your questions, your comments. And uh, by the way, you can get those into us at VOC Nation on Twitter, and we thank you. Uh, Twitter followers are up again this week. We're at 26,600 from 26,200. So we thank you to all of you that continue to follow us on Twitter or email uh, Bruce at VOCNation.com, and that will uh, send me an email, and I'll get all of your questions, and you can do that if you listen to any one of our shows. So we'll be back in just a second after you listen to some of the sponsors that support this and other VOC Nation programming. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. No BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez, the voice of choice, Bruce Word, self-proclaimed. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Every week, I think this is our 13th or 14th episode. You can go back and listen to all of them by subscribing, following, liking the VOC Nation Wrestling Network on your favorite podcast app. You get all of our shows, including Wrestling With History, which I do with Bill Apter and Ken Resnick in the room with uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW, former WCW star, The Maestro. Got Wes Briscoe, Briscoe and Big Ace. A lot of shows. Uh, And our newest member of the team is Brian Ferguson with Bumps and Thumps. We got an interview, Manny, that went up over the weekend with former Olympian Ken Patera. And before I get to the questions, you got any good Ken Patera stories? Oh, God, I, I love Ken. He's a great guy. We had a great match in Houston, Texas. And, you know, we, we just, Ken's a great guy. So the only story I got is, you know, the one that got him and Mr. Saido up in Minneapolis in trouble with the cops got Saido sent into jail for a while because Ken started a do a rock through the McDonald's window. <laughs> you know, I got that story from some of the boys, but uh, that's what I understand. And, yeah, as I hear it, they had just closed McDonald's, right? And Ken and Saido were finishing a show and they were hungry. And yeah. the guy inside inside the restaurant was just a real jerk. Like, instead of they were willing to pay, I mean, they, they would have paid extra. They just wanted to get a burger. You know that they have food that they're going to waste at the end of the night. And this guy wasn't yep. letting him in. And, and Ken got mad and threw a rock. And uh, what a shame to spend, um, you know, time in prison for uh, something something silly, you know? I guess he did beat yeah. up the police in the hotel room. That's not silly. That was Saido. That was oh, that was Saido that did. Oh, man. Ken surrendered. Uh, they busted into Saido's room trying to get him. And he beat up. He broke that their back and the lady got tore her back up and that was Masa Saito did all that. Were you um where were you at that time? Were you down down south when that WCW. happened? WCW. Was that the talk of the town? Oh yeah. 
Yeah. He was talking because everybody knew how tough Mato Saito was. If you've been to Japan, he's one of the toughest guys they ever had on the roster. They knew how tough he was. And they said, everybody's like, it's no surprise. We know Mato, you try to break down this door, you better be, you better come with 20, not three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, check it out. Um, if you're, if you're listening and you haven't heard that yet, it's uh, part one of two bumps and thumps with Brian Ferguson uh, with uh, the great Ken Patera. And I'm sure they cover that and much more. Manny, let's get to the questions. And number one on the list, uh, Sam in Arkansas via email asks, uh, any good stories on Magnum TA? And you worked with Magnum in uh, NWA, WCW, right? Right. Uh, yeah. You know, Magnum, I met Magnum in San Antonio, Texas, when he went up to, uh, I think it was, it was California, to train with Buzz Sawyer. Paid Buzz Sawyer $20,000 to train him. And Buzz Sawyer, all he did was get high and doped up and didn't train him worth a damn. Didn't do anything for Magnum. Basically, just took his money. Thanks. And then he found his way to San Antonio. And I got in there and, uh, and we, me, Joe Blanchard wanted me to work with him a bit. And we got in there. Me and Al Perez was my taxi partner. And Al Perez, and he needed, he was green too. So he wanted to learn. So we went in there and it was me. Al Perez and Magnum, and we all got training together. And then, you know, basically they used Magnum a little here, a little there. He was in a match with the wrestler Nick Bockwinkle on TV in uh, San Antonio. And I snuck in, told Magnum to go to the dressing room. And when Bockwinkle turned around, it was me in the ring. He's kind of stuck. Had a great match with Bockwinkle. But I uh, told him that, you know, this not, might not be the territory for him that. You know, he might want to call Dusty Rhodes up in Florida. It'd probably be that with his looks, he'd probably get over like a million dollars. And sure. basically, that's what he did. And he ended up in Florida, you know. Then we, you know, after Dusty got released there and took the book in Carolina, he brought us in together. And it was just, it was a good relationship, you know. You know, so Manny, all- what if, if Magnum didn't get, injured in that accident could magnum you think magnum could have gone either and and been the big big star in mid-atlantic and ran with flair for years or gone north and uh, made a bunch of money with mcmahon i think magnum would have got over anywhere because of his looks and the way uh, you know magnum ta and then you have magnum pi yeah you know they kind of look you know that look with the mustache and all that good shit and that series, the Magnum P.I. series, is over like a million dollars on TV. Yep. Everybody loved that series. I didn't, but everybody else did. But, <laughs> uh, so I think with that and just having the Magnum T.A. thing and the lookalike thing, I think he would have got over there. And he did get over in Florida and Louisiana and Carolinas, and he wouldn't have had that wreck. Messing with somebody else's wife, he probably would have got over anywhere. Tell uh, me. So – yeah, and I, I and maybe I just missed it, but I I've never heard that story. That that wreck was as a result of him. Um, I mean, he was speeding, but he was messing around with somebody's uh, significant other. Probably was the rumor I heard. Got from it. What I, the, per, the person I heard it from, I don't think he would lie to me. So you know, well, I'll, I just well, call it cool. Yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. You said probably was, and and uh, 
I don't want to get you in in any hot water, uh, but Magnum TA, you know, done in the business uh, essentially. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> is that the kind of guy that Magnum was? He was, uh, I mean, obviously he was good with the ladies, but uh, was he, was he the type of guy that would go and mess around with other people's uh, spouses well, this, or significant well, others? Yeah. Well, this was just the one incident I knew about. I never heard about anything else. It was just one incident, but, you know, that's the one I heard about, you know, that's the only thing I, but, but after that, he was, you know, crippled up. Yeah. So, you know, it took a long time to rehab and get back to walk and stuff. They never thought he was going to get by. walk again, but he proved him wrong. But he's a strong willed guy. But, you know, like I said, nobody used to talk about karma back then, but like I said, I figured maybe that was karma. Yeah. And done in the business at the age of 27, I think. Uh, he was, born in 59 and that happened in 86 uh what a shame a lot more years that were left on the tank but you know manny when god calls your card and says that you're going to do something else it's all up to him right yeah and you know here's another little beef i had with him magnum was going through physical therapy trying to get everything i used to come visit him all the time i used to come visit him when he did the swimming pool therapy i'd go there to the pool and encourage him and stuff like that because I remember him as a, as a kid coming to San Antonio asking for advice and wanted to train. And I'd go to physical therapy like that. But later on, when he got to walking and getting back on TV with WCW, he gave all the credit to Dusty Rhodes, which kind of pissed me off, you know. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> That's true. You know, and to this day, you know, we still look at each other. I mean, I'm cordial, you know. And like he told his kid one time, we were uh, doing a uh, greeted me in, in uh, New Jersey. He told his kid, well, there's Manny Fernandez. He's the one who taught me how to drop kick. I said, yeah, just taught you how to drop kick. Right, dude. You know, so, you know, there's always a little bit of uh, animosity there. You go out of your way to help somebody that's been in a very serious car wreck, try and be there to cheer him up and keep his uh, will, keep him going, you know, give him encouragement. And then when he gets out, Gets around Dutch Rose again, which that was his boy. That was his boy because he was up his ass half, half the time. Uh, you know, he gives all the credit due to Dusty. Could so, you see Dusty in his ear saying, oh, "Come on, pumpkin, uh, give me, give me, give me some yeah. of that that glory." Uh, Manny doesn't need yeah, glory. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing that you brought that up because I was thinking about that when I saw the somebody sent me a, a WCW promo. The fur promo, fur coat promo, and it's him and Dusty and two big old massive fur coats talking to Tony Chibani. Uh, Tony Chibani. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I just broke up laughing because it just brought back that picture of Joe Namath sitting on the bench, the New York Jets bench with that big fur coat in the winter sitting on the bench. <laughs> That's uh, how far back I can remember Joe Namath playing football. <laughs> since you mentioned Tony Chibani, I'm I'll go. Uh, I'm, I'm going to skip down a little bit and go to another one. Dan from Pennsylvania via e via email 
says, who was Manny's favorite announcer in terms of getting the boys over without making it all about themselves? I don't like the announcers of today, especially Pat McAfee or McAfee. That was Dan saying that, not me. Uh, Pat McAfee had a uh, altercation, Manny, with Bill Apter a, a few days ago. Bill wrote something negative about Pat after SmackDown, and Pat told Bill to F off and uh, create a little stir, you know, telling a legend like Bill Apter to, to F off. Not not a great move by Pat McAfee. Well, number one, think about this. If you got to tell somebody that's so grateful of a gentleman, so on un- an army, such a great person to F off, how sorry are you? How sorry could you be? Come on, man. Bill Raptor's been around since dirt was invented. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he's done nothing but glorify this business, even though it doesn't deserve it anymore. He's done nothing but stuck up for the business, protected the business, and protected everybody in the business. Yep. And, you know, he's done a great job for this business. And for some mouthpiece just to tell him to do that, if I was Bill Raptor, which I know Bill Raptor never do, I'd have slapped the hell out of him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, the greatest announcer, I'll tell you the truth, to this day, to this day, I always praise him and, and, and cherish what he taught me when I was young and green and sat with next to him, and he would kick me under the damn booth to tell me to slow down or something like that. You know, to think about your words, Gordon Sully. Gordon Sully. Gordon Sully. He had so much charisma. He didn't have to be about him. It just came out in him. And he brought the best out of you in your promo. You know, he didn't try to interrupt the promo or take the center stage. He was just there to help you along. And that's what I'll always remember, man. Gordon Soli was awesome to me. Gordon was a legendary drinker, right? Speaking of Andre the Giant and drinking, yeah. Gordon could, could put him down like anybody, couldn't he? Oh, God, yeah. Remember I told you the story when I first met him? I went up and shook his hand and smelled like 100 proof already <laughs> at 9 o'clock in the morning. Oh, boy. Um, All right. Let me skip down. Since we just talked about Bill Apter, Oliver something or other. It's a lot of letters strung together on Twitter. Manny told a story once about Bill Apter's dad. Can he go into detail on that again? I love listening to Apter and Resnick on VOC Nation, and that's a story we don't know too much about. Oliver. Yeah. Bill Apter's dad was a timekeeper in West Palm Beach, Florida. And he'd sit there on the, uh, the timekeeper's table, and he would watch all the young guys. He'd been around so long, he'd watch all the young guys. You know, any grand game that job, he'd watch all the young guys wrestle and stuff. And, he, you know, he'd been around so long, he'd give you advice because he knew what he was talking about. Right. I guess that's why Bill Lapter got into Pro Wrestling Illustrated, started his own little magazine. But his dad was so helpful to young guys, and he took a liking to me. And after every match, he always would tell me, good good job, kid. You know, you should try this. And he was just a great inspiration as a fan of the business, the way the business was worked back then, as old school, you know. And he would always give you good compliments and, and tell you, well, you overdid this a little bit. And, you know, he was just there. And he was there to ringside so he could see everything you were doing. And he could commentate on that, you know. I mean, talk to you about it after your match. So, yeah, I mean, Bill Apter's dad, I was always so glad to get Bob Westbrook on 
on Monday because I got to see Bill Epper's dad. And we'd sit down and talk and he'd give me advice and I would take it to heart. And that's how we he became close. And then he told me about Bill and me and, and Bill came down one time when he did the article introducing Manny Fernandez and Corinth. And I just enjoyed Bill and his dad. And they'll always have a place in my heart. Especially his dad. That's awesome. I can tell you that right now. You know, his dad might not have never been a wrestler, but he knew what he was talking about. Yeah, that that's uh, that's great, and a lot of people probably don't know that about Bill. After his dad being part of the business, small part of the business, yes, but yes. part of the business. So, Manny, one yes. one other thing I, I want to mention: you mentioned Gordon Soley making it about the talent, not about him. Yeah, I work a lot with Ken Resnick, uh, who Ken was in the AWA and WWF in the mid '80s, and. I've heard a lot of a lot of the feedback on Ken was that Ken was the same way. You know, he he didn't have the glamour and the 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 glitter or the, or whatever glitz and glamour of a Gene Okerlund, but Gene was about putting himself over as much as he was the talent. And talent liked working with Ken because they knew that Ken wasn't in, going into business for himself. Was that important for you as a performer uh, to work with an announcer that was? for you and not just uh not for them you know what i'm saying yeah i understand what you're saying yeah it was like tony Schiavone was the same way too i love tony Schiavone too i mean he's one of the top i'd say top three kid resnick was good at awa and he wasn't about himself he was about getting the promo over with the guys it wasn't yeah. about him trying to promote himself as a product like some of these guys did Oakland and them jim ross you know but jim ross was great too he was a, he has a great commentator, but uh, you know, Ken Resnick was good in the AWA. I, I always liked him, but he's in the top three. You know, I would say, you know, about promoting the business, not promoting themselves. Did you ever did you ever work in in Minnesota for Vern? Did you ever go up there? Yeah, I worked the AWA territory with Wahoo McDaniels and Ray Stevens with the Booker. I had fun there. I had the, you know, that's when they had the Beverly Boys, Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. They were there as construction, the construction crew. And yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Um, Diamond, Diamond. That's when Diamond Dallas Page was just the manager. Then I got back from Japan. And all of a sudden, this guy was a champ. I started laughing. I go, oh my God, the Donut Boys champ now. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that used to go for donuts and coffee is the champion. What the hell is going on in this business? <laughs> yeah, he managed what Pat Tanaka and uh, who was Paul it? Diamond. Bill, yeah, Paul, Paul Diamond. Diamond. Diamond Station Incorporated, right? That was their name. Yep. Yeah, yep. Diamond Exchange is what they started as, and then went to something else. Yep. Yeah, and Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom were there. Yeah, that the trooper who went on to become uh, the Patriot, Del Wilkes, right? Yep, he was up yep, there I at knew. that time. Yeah, I knew Del. Yeah, we had fun with Del. Yeah, awesome. it was a good. Wally and Ray Stevens had a great crew, and we were doing really good with AWA, getting it back on its feet. The old Greg Gagne came back in the picture. Oh my God, he just destroyed everything again. Everything that Ray Stevens and Wahoo McDaniel built. A great gun is destroyed. Of course, eventually, they shut down the territory, as you know. 
Here's an email from Ron in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It ties together. It says, uh, does Manny have any heat with Eric Bischoff? And maybe I'll, I'll add to that question. Was Eric in the AWA when you were up there? So any, any heat with Eric? And was he around in, in AWA when you uh, ran there? I've got to have heat with somebody you don't even really consider anything. Yeah, you know, fans just think that everybody just walks around hating each other or, you know, I think that's what what fans think. Uh, But no offense to Ron. We appreciate the question, Ron. But Yeah, no, no, I appreciate Ron's question, but he had no significant, sorry, my teeth, you know, I had no significant uh, influence in anything I did. He was an announcer, right? Yeah, he was just an announcer when I was at AWA. He was nothing outside of that. Uh, but as far as knowing him as a person, I never cared to know him or didn't really get involved with him or anything. And yeah, like anything, like I said, when I came back, the Diamond Dallas Page was the champion, and I used to see him as a donut boy. And then all of a sudden, Eric Bishop is a big booker, and I'm going like, this this is getting bad. <laughs> Wrestling's getting bad, but I'm glad I'm staying in Japan. That's when I was signed to Japan. Everything in the States is kind of getting screwy. You know, you got a commentator, an announcer, all of a sudden he's a booker, and then you got a guy that used to manage people and run for donuts, and he's a champion. <laughs> so did you work? No, in, did you did you do anything in the in the later day WCW when Bischoff ran it? No. No. I didn't go back to WCW. I, I walked out on WCW. Right. Which I probably should have done that to Jim Cockett and Dusty Rhodes. But, you know, me and Dusty had a love-hate relationship. And I just got tired of the BS and I walked out. But, you know, any question is a legitimate question. But I had no involvement with Eric Bischoff to even waste my time to say anything much about him. There's not much to say in my book. Got it. Uh, all right. Uh, Sunshine... Babisha, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Babisha, on Twitter. Would Manny agree to work as a coach for AEW if they asked him? No, not me. Those guys are uh, dead set in their ways of uh, being, uh, you know, wrestling in my life. I don't need wrestling in my life. I appreciate the question, but, you know, I did wrestling because I really had nothing else to do. It would have... Uh, Gave me a good living, make a good living. I, I couldn't hold a nine to five job. I already knew that. You know, I knew that was going to be hard. I couldn't use my degree to be a cop because I probably would have been in prison, killing somebody for being stupid. You know, but uh, no, you know, I really don't see it that way. It's like I, I look at these hangers on, the guys that done did their 40 years and are still hanging on trying to, you know, make a living out of wrestling. And, and I feel bad for them. You know, they can't let go. Right. You know, you know, plus these guys, they have no concept of telling a story or psychology. Like we talked about earlier, a guy throws 20 elbows to the side of somebody's head and a guy's still standing there leaning on a rope and rakes his eyes. Come on, man. Yeah. Let's go. Jack from New York City uh, via email. Did Manny know Wes Briscoe when he was a small child? Did he think that Wes would become 
a wrestler someday. And obviously, Wes does a show, uh, Briscoe and Big Ace here on VOC Nation. You worked with Jerry Briscoe in the late 70s, I guess right before Wes was born. Did you ever uh, know Wes as a child, or did you remember when Jerry had Wes? No, no. I was gone by the time uh, Jerry had Wes. Wes wasn't around when I was with Jerry at Dak. But anybody, I, I always said it when they had decided to have a kid, if that was a boy, he's going to be tough as nails. Because <laughs> knowing Jack and Jerry Briscoe the way I knew them and the way they loved amateur wrestling, I knew their kid would be dynamite. You know, he'd be dynamite on two legs because he'd have to be tough with his dad beating them up, <laughs> beating them up on him every day. <laughs> you know, but I met Wes several times and had great conversations with him. Apparently, his dad has told him about me. So he knew a lot about me, and I appreciated that. But Wes was a tough kid, a really, really respectful kid. Was brought up right in the business, and you know, he's doing a great job. Did you ever work with Wes in the ring on the indie scene? No, we've been on shows together, and Wes always had somebody else. He always put me with some other, some other people. Got it. All right. Well, thank you for the question. Uh, what was that? That wasn't Sunshine. That was Jack in New York City. Thank you, Jack. Uh, anonymous. Anonymous. Uh, this is, uh, I won't read the email address, but it says, who is Manny's best student today and in years past? I guess they're asking who's your best uh, student or mentee today and who was it in years past? Maybe Anonymous is one of your current students and they're trying to get you to, to Give yeah. some. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't ever favor my students because they're all pretty, well, as everybody knows, the names I've read out, J.B. Allen, Booker T., Stephen Ray, R-Truth, you know, Homicide, Loki, and all, all the people, I could never say I had a favorite. They all were trained the same way, and they all did good for themselves. They all, one way or another, made it in this business, and that's, that's more than, than I can say. I mean, they're all great kids, and right now, I just have a group of kids, and I've never favored anybody. I'm tough with, I'm tough on all of them. Sure. Period. I don't take it easy on nobody. Either you're going to hang on and be tough like I teach you to be tough, or you're going to quit and walk out the door. And either way, it doesn't bother me. You know. Does it? Does it upset you? Like, I, a lot of the uh, online profiles will list who trained who and. Um, some of those people that you mentioned have you listed in there, R-Truth being one of them. Rob Van Dam uh, famously gave you credit at the WWE Hall of Fame for your work with him. But like uh, JBL, I, I haven't seen JBL acknowledge uh, your work with him. Does that does that bother you at all, Manny, when somebody uh, doesn't give you the credit that you deserve? No. Why should it? Why yeah, you're should not really wired like that. No, I have no ego about wrestling again. You know, if they want to do it, they do it. If they don't, don't, I don't force nobody to do nothing. That's on them. I mean, I trained them. They did their job training hard and to get better. They did the great by their career. I mentored people like JBL when he came to me from Brad Rangan school. You know, they, you know, they would put Brad Rangan's because he started with Brad Rangan. Sure. And they would put Brad Rangan's. Well, that's great because Brad does deserve the credit because he started there. You know. I have no ego about that. If they want to say it, they're, they're not obligated to that. They did their time. They paid their little bit of money. That's, you know, obligation to that? No, not at all. No, there's there's no ego about wrestling in this guy. 
And he's so is JBL somebody that you knew would go on to become as great as he did, you know, Hall of Famer. Oh yeah, definitely. When I first got him at Global Wrestling Federation, I could see potential. You could see potential in people. You could see that just by the way they carry themselves, how they get in the ring, they're willing to learn and listen. You're going to know these guys are going to go a long way just by listening. Just if they sit down and listen to, to somebody who knows and has knowledge about the business and passes it on to them, especially the psychology of the business, how to tell a story, and they listen real good, you know that guy is going to go a long way compared to somebody that says, well, yeah, 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 I got it, yeah, yeah, I got it, yeah, yeah. I know what I'm doing. Those kind of guys, you know. You, you know, he... Uh, he really broke out when he mixed his actual personality with his talent instead of trying to copy. Like I think a lot of the early JBL was trying to recreate Stan Hansen or, you know, somebody in that ilk. And when he took the, the real over the top financial mobile mogul gimmick and put that with the actual style that he worked in the ring, he became uh, an instant superstar, right? I mean, that's, that's the secret sauce is to mix, kind of take your own personality and then turn up the dial. So it's natural. Right. That's what I did with mine. Just a bit crazier, but uh, JBL, (laughs) Uh, all I can say about JBL, like I said, he, he, he listened. He took everything in and, and observed, and he took every bit of what he took in and made it himself. He made yeah. it into his own character, you know. But earlier part of career, when I had him global and put him Bobby Duncan Jr., you know, there were Texas. You're in Texas. I made him Texas. I had Black Bart, Johnny Mantel, Cowboys, like uh, Long Riders, the, the Heels. And, of course, you bring in the baby Cowboys, you know, Duncan and, and JBL. So you give him the cowboy gimmick. You know, he looks good in the cowboy gimmick. Then it went on. That's, that's basically where it's not their input. It's the booker's input and the people that want him to keep portraying that until they get enough stature under their, their career to where they can suggest something else. Like uh, Scott Hall suggested doing Razor Ramon. Yep. That wasn't his idea. That was Scott Hall's idea. You know, say hello to the bad guy. Yeah. You know, that thing. So, and then he really kept yeah. that persona when he went back to the the Scott Hall name when he went to WCW. He really kept the attitude that Razor Ramon had, and I mean, ended up becoming the greatest of all time. The challenges aside, yeah. So, uh, let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll work in another commercial. We'll come back and we'll wrap it up. There's a couple more questions. No BS with the Bull worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Phil After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. All right, no BS with the bull of Manny Fernandez and the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, but nobody cares about me. Manny, uh, we got a ton of great questions for this week, and these have come in over the last several weeks. Keep sending them. Keep sending them. 
tweet them at VOC Nation or send them uh, directly to me, Bruce at VOCNation.com. And we'll try to work these into uh, more shows in the future. So what we do on some of the other shows I host, like on Aptor and Resnick's show, I, I do questions and feedback in the first couple of minutes uh, of each episode. So maybe we do something like that. Uh, we lo- I love these questions. They're great questions. And uh, we've had a lot of great conversation that came out of them. Uh, Manny and I, during the break, we, uh, we decided that next week we're going to talk a little bit more about referees and uh, <laughs> announcers. I think there's a lot that we can go into. And uh, somebody gave a great question about, one of the best announcers. And uh, so we'll go more into that in the, the weeks to come. Manny, uh, let's get back to the mail. Andre from Parts Unknown. Uh, I wonder where that is. <laughs> Does Orlando Manny Florida talk? Public. What's that? Orlando, Florida, probably. I know Andre Brown in Orlando down there. Well, maybe Orlando, maybe uh, he's. Uh, Considering Orlando parts unknown, who knows? Does Manny talk to any of today's stars on the independency? I'm curious why he views all of them as disrespectful. <laughs> there must be some that still represent the business in a positive light. Manny, I don't think you've said everybody's disrespectful. I think you've said that there are some that are disrespecting the business and the product disrespects the business, but you're not out there hating on all of the talent. No, no, no. Uh, Andre, I hope that's my brother, Andre Brown, in Orlando, Florida, because uh, he's, that sounds like a question he would ask, because he's always asking questions about how uh, I like this guy, that guy in the business. No, the ones that I get on my nerves are the ones that show up in the dressing room acting like they're King Kong, and they're 120 pounds soaking wet with weights in their pockets. Those guys. Those are disrespectful like guys that open up a damn uh, uh, jug of whiskey in the dressing room, start drinking before they before they go out and wrestle. Those guys are the idiots I, I cannot stand. They have no respect, no dressing room etiquette. No, most of the guys are very respectful when I come into the dressing room, come up and introduce themselves to me and say, thank you, nice to meet you, Mr. Fernandez. And I always tell them, don't call me Mr., call me bull, asshole, or stupid. But not Mr., or appreciate it, you know. And they just laugh like you did. They laugh and giggle. So I thought I could tell a person's got a good personality. When I say that, they kind of laugh. You know, well, I'm not going to call you out. <laughs> you know, that's the way I, I get him with that, that little question, that little shout out right there. But no, the ones that I talk about is the ones that are negative uh, people to the dressing room. They come in there and they're acting like hot shot. Especially these uh, backyard independent kind of shows where they all think they're superstars because they copy everything from AEW, WWE, and whatever organization that's on TV that they think they could copy it and be part of, which will never be. Well, those are the kind of people I cannot stand. Sure. You know, speaking of the Mr. thing, my wife and I were. Uh... I say arguing, but we were debating this. She was saying uh, that she wanted the kids um, friends to call her Mrs. And I said, I don't, I don't really dig that. I don't, I don't want to be Mr. Wirt. I just want to be, uh, just call me by my name or, uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm not in that. I, 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 I'm very informal kind of person, you know? Yeah, me too. It's like a God given name, you know, that's the name your mother or parents gave you and, you call me Manny or Manuel, whatever, uh, you know, 
uh, you know, I was in the military, so yeah, that sir stuff got old with me. But you didn't say sir too much where I was at, you know, station and country. So you know, you don't want to give away who was a, a you know an officer compared to an enlisted man. You know, you never want to do that. They'd be a first target on their head. But I think it's fine. Uh, somebody that wants to be respectful in their first greeting, yeah. but once you say, "Okay, you don't have to do that anymore," then fair enough. I mean, some people do want to be called that. Uh, that's not me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree hundred percent. You can be respectful without having to say, "Sir." Anybody, yeah. you just read by his name, thank him, thank you so much, I appreciate it. You know, stuff like that. But, you know, outside of that, yeah, but that, that's my main deal. You know, if you show respect in the dressing room, show like you you got, you know, some kind of sense of respectability or dressing room etiquette for the people that came before you like I did when I started the business, like showed up, went in the dressing room early, an hour early, sat down and shut my mouth until somebody came to talk to me. Then I'd say, okay, yeah, you know, whatever you want me to do. Yeah, you know, I'm here. You know, that was it. You know, but these guys come in there thinking, "Oh, I'm a pro wrestler. Look at me, I'm a pro wrestler. Oh, I'm a pro wrestler." <laughs> yeah, right. You're a freaking clown doing it once a month. You're in a pro nothing. You know, that's right. My biggest disagreement is people that punch a clock nine to five, five days a week, and wrestle once a month and call themselves professional. <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I listen, I've never done it. So I can't, I have respect for anybody that gets between the ropes, but for you that lived your life and, and really lived the business, then I can totally understand why, why you say that about some of the indie talents of today. Uh, Taker Dupriu, I think that's how you say that the name on Twitter. Did Manny ever work with the undertaker at any point in his career? I don't know if he took the name Taker because he's a fan of The Undertaker or what, but did you or he or she, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, did uh, did you work with The Undertaker when he was Mean Mark or at any point? No. When he was Mean Mark or Undertaker, never had the pleasure. Would have loved to. Would have been an honor. He was a great guy. I would have loved to work with him. Would have loved to work with him, but no, I never had the pleasure. No That's the part of my Some of these young guys that were coming up at that time, Oh, I would have loved to work with him. Best in uh, Mark. Yeah. Anyway, he's a good guy. One of the greatest of all time. Thanks for the question, Mr. Taker. Uh, let's uh, two more. Corrine Castelloa on Twitter. Of all the wrestlers Manny worked with, who had the nicest spouse? Who had the meanest? <laughs> That's Corrine. <laughs> nice what? Spouse. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Who had the nicest and the meanest spouse? You know, stick out. you know, that's a hard, hard question for me to answer because remember <laughs> I told you a while back, I didn't live around the forest. I lived 40, 50 miles away from Charlotte and 40, 50 miles away from anybody in San Antonio. I never li lived around the wrestling community, as we're saying. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, so, so I never really got to be hang out. I didn't hang out with wrestling. I had real people in my life. Right. I met guys in bars and were cool that I knew who I was and didn't do, you know, go glorified or get all gloried over it or all excited over it and everything. They treated me as a person. Right. So I love that. You know, where I could go somewhere, be a normal person, sit down, have a couple of beers, enjoy myself, have some wings or whatever, 
and and you know just enjoy my time with normal people i i once i got out of the arena wrestling ended for me it was over my job was done i was over i went and found a place to hang out down the road away from all all the wrestlers used to go and we did uh Sean and Coliseum, everybody go to Finnegan, Wahoo, Fair, you name it. The whole crew go there. I go 30 miles down the road to a little place, and then I found a little hole in the wall that I found that nobody cared. Everybody just wanted to drink and have fun and have a little conversation, and, and that was it. So I never really knew anybody's wives. I never got into that. Of course, my wives didn't know them very well either because I didn't bring them to the pro wrestling. It was, sure. you know, it was my job. They had a job. I had a job. That's it. All right. So thank you for the question, Corrine. And we'll wrap it up with Billy Penney. I think that's the way you say it. I'm not, I'm not very good at this today. On Twitter, Manny's run with Rick Rude was great. Did Manny have any ill will towards Rude for going and cashing in with the WWF? <laughs> Why would I? <laughs> I'm the one that told him to go. When right. he told me the situation, I said, bro, I told this story many times. I told him, I said, brother, we're in this business to make a little money to support our families and for our future and our retirement. Brother, they give you that kind of money. Get the hell out of here. Go. What are you going to do? I said, don't worry about me. I got, I can take care of me. <laughs> I can take care of me. I got plenty of things. I've already got another offer from Japan for extended weeks. I'm fine. Go do your thing. And hey, No, you will. I love Rick Rude. We were great together. And, you know, a lot of people don't think so, but I think we were great together. And the thing about that proves that is if you go back to the cards that we were in Rock and Roll Express with, we all, we sold out everywhere. With That's the nice. underneath card, it wasn't that, that you know, we'd have the Dusty Roads or the Magnums or the Flares and the Tully Plants or the Four Horsemen. We just had Jimmy Valiant, Rock and Roll Express, Jimmy Valiant, Barbarian, Shotsky Wadley. You know, we had the B team, but we still sold out everywhere. So, you know, people can say what they want about the other tag teams, but when you look at the long run that we had, the run that we had, and the money we drew, there's no comparison. Did did you think that Rick Rude would ever uh, have that gimmick that he had in the WWF? Did you you see him dialing that up and going over the top the way he did? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always knew that that was his gimmick. He was a ladies' man. He was a ladies' man. He'd knock him out. He dropped, they dropped dead from Dick Rude. I always knew that. That was a great gimmick for him. Yeah, he left us way too early. I think he was only 40 or 41 years old when he passed away. Yep. Um, very sad and, and just got back into the business, you know. Uh, he cashed in his uh, Lloyds of London policy. Um, I think it was a neck injury, and he was – really trying to uh i guess if the guys that did that if they could pay it back they could start to wrestle again and he was trying to do that i think in wcw and um yeah left us way too soon for sure i did he did you know and i you know i kept up with him he was doing so good and everything i used to laugh when he used to do the girl thing in the ring i used to because i always knew that was him i always knew that was him that fit him perfectly you know, that's one thing Vince probably did right in the whole time that I've known about Vince is give Rude that gimmick. <laughs> well, think about, I mean, he really, Ultimate Warrior um, probably owes his career to Rick Rude because Rude, during that peak, Rude really put him over. Hogan put him over. 
in the big match, but Rick Rude was the heel that Ultimate Warrior needed. And every good face needs a heel. Hogan wouldn't have been him without Bobby Heenan, AWA or WWF. And Rick Rude, or uh, Warrior, wouldn't have been nearly as successful without Rick Rude. Correct. After that, Ultimate Warrior still sucks. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and uh, Fast and Furious, uh, we're uh, we're at we're over an hour actually. A uh, great great show. Please keep the comments and questions coming. Uh, again, at VOC Nation on Twitter, e, uh, Bruce at VOC Nation on uh, email, and uh, you can even do your comments on the website as well. We love hearing it. And we'll try to work it into more episodes. Manny, any big plans for the week besides getting your mouth uh, destroyed? No, that and uh, uh, I don't know if I told you coming up on the June 26th of the show here in East Texas, they're going to give me some kind of lifetime achievement award. I don't know. My life's still going. So I guess when you get these awards, you die. I don't know for sure yet. Don't die on us, Manny. We just became (laughs) friends. I don't want to. I don't want to have to fly to Texas for a funeral. Come on. Hey, hey, don't be afraid to let these, there's another shout out to all the people with their great questions and stuff. And, you know, I love y'all and, and I hope y'all have a possible great life, but don't be afraid to get these idiots. You know, there's cowards born every day. That's a great motto of mine. Cowards are born every day. So what's the coward do? Now that's the internet and Facebook stuff, they become keyboard warriors. So if they want to ask stupid questions, go ahead. Let's, let's answer their questions with legitimate answers. Their ignorance with legitimacy. That's the, that's the way you defeat stupid people. You know? So, so maybe, don't be afraid of that. Manny just gave us permission. Uh, maybe I'll read some of your stupid questions next time. <laughs> yeah, there you go, brother. Yeah, don't, we'll do it. Don't have we'll, to be afraid. We'll do There's it. only two things guaranteed in this life, bro. That's death and, and taxes. You know? yeah. So don't be afraid of people. I'm not. You know? All right. So words words. you hear it. If you sent a disrespectful, stupid question, there's a chance that Manny might dignify you with an answer next week. You'll have to stay tuned to uh, to find <laughs> out. Uh, that'll wrap it up for this week. No BS with the bull. Hopefully you like this enough to subscribe, hit like, subscribe, follow on your favorite podcast app. It's absolutely free and you get all of the rest of the VOC nation programming on that, uh, that feed. So thanks again for Manny Fernandez, the raging bull on the voice of choice, Bruce, Wirt. we'll see you next Monday right here on no BS with the bull. Thanks everybody. Have a good week.